Let's dive on in. Dive in. It's going to get dark here pretty, pretty soon, and I won't be able to read, so. Oh, it's going to get so dark because it's about World War II. Am I right? All the light we cannot see. There's two jokes that we can make about the title. All the light we cannot see like Nazis or mm -hmm. all the light we cannot see because then one of the main characters is fucking blind. Also, did they ever say in the book, all the light we cannot see or like, they never actually said that phrase and I kind of, at least I thought they did. And I kind of always wait for it. Yeah, you're right. I don't know if they said it. Like, I don't really know if I get the title. Like they made a lot of references to lights and stuff, but they never like said specifically all the light we cannot see. And I was like, what does that mean? Anyway, it's fine. I just don't like mysteries. Hello all, we're the Hibrarians, two friends who smoke and joke about books. We're long distance at the moment. I'm Indy, I'm the one in Alaska. And I'm Annie and I currently live in Oregon. Uh, this podcast is a way of feeding two birds with one scone. So quick story, um, I saw this on TikTok and I thought it was so funny because I was like, we don't want to kill birds. And like, we went on a rant a couple episodes ago about this. And anyway, so I saw that TikTok, I thought it was so funny. So then I started saying it to my coworker and he didn't think it was funny. <laughs> and, then, and, I, and then it just made me feel very uncomfortable. And then somehow we got on the topic of like, um like cockfighting and like what the fuck? like how it's illegal but we're like is it illegal who's the criminal in this situation is it bird illegal or is it like human illegal and then he said is it against the law or he said is it illegal to be a sick bird of prey or something like that and he said because you know illegal and I literally had a like full stop and like walk away from him because it made me so mad because I actually was trying to figure it Want out. to cry. <laughs> anyway, so this is how we feed two birds with one scone. We both like to read and we like to talk to each other for multiple hours, um, usually once a week, sometimes more. Um, so join us on our journey to the library while we check out new books every week and we talk way too much. And this week we are reading a book. Well, we have read the book and it's very sad and it's called all the light we cannot see by anthony Dower. is that how we're saying his name i never do the research yeah sure <laughs> okay well you said it earlier and i don't know what you said so Dower. Dower. doer door doer doer i don't know i don't know either okay um, it's fine but that's the book we read so i don't know people get my name wrong a lot so i don't really i don't really respect other people's names i'm sorry that makes sense people get mine wrong sometimes too to be clear my actual name not my fake name so what fake name we're real we'll, real fake people real fake people so <clears throat> anyway so we read the book all the light we cannot see by anthony Dower, and that's how we're saying his name so that's not his name or the word Come at me, Anthony. Yeah, fight me. You're terrifying. I have a bone to pick with him anyway, so. I'll tell a quick little story about how I got here. <laughs> I being the book, the book that I got. So I bought all the, I bought all these. 
at the same time, like 12 of them. You know. I know, you know. I was there. And then it turns out when this when it came when it came time to read this book for the podcast, I didn't have it. I'd never gotten it, and it'd been two months. <laughs> so it's not like I could do anything about it. But I did get a re- I tried to get a refund, and this first I had to talk to the store, and they were like, "Please check with your post office. It is marked delivered to us on this date. This date being two months ago." And I was like, "My post office, no post office is gonna hold no jack shit for two fucking months." <laughs> yeah for sure but luckily they had it at our local barnes and noble which worked out perfectly because it was the same copy that annie has so it made taking notes very easy it was amazingly easy so thank you barnes and noble you have once again given us a reason to live crazy (laughs) crazy Okay, it's fine. It's fine. Let's just keep going. I'll get there and I'll cry a little bit. It's okay. Okay, yeah, we're going to cry a lot. Yeah, probably. I think we're going to cry. We cry every episode, mostly because the book's terrible, but this time because the book made us feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, author bio, Mr. Anthony, Mr. Anthony Doer. Um, all caps. And he has the most intense blue-green eyes. He's terrified. He was born in 1973 in a place called Novelty, Ohio, which sounds way too interesting to be in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he grew up with two brothers, uh, raised on outdoorsy shit like uh, fishing, hiking, and other woods stuff, uh, balanced with reading. His father ran a printing company, which is super sick. And his mom was a science teacher. So it was obvious, like, obviously he was going to become a writer. Obviously. His whole life is a novel at this point. Absolutely. He's an inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) He lives in Idaho with his wife and twin sons. Terrifying. Um, Fun fact, question mark. um, According to his website, he is often asked if he is related to Harriet. Uh, Doer, which same last name spelling. Uh, allegedly, he's not. Um, if you don't know who that is, don't feel bad, neither did I. Uh, she's awesome, apparently, though. Uh, after her husband died, she returned to school and got a degree, uh, which go aunt, uh, go, at, go mm-hmm. Annie's aunt. Mm-hmm. My aunt did that same thing. It was like, she's, yeah, she's dope. We love an educated woman love an educated woman um she published her first novel in her 70s you go girl it's called stones for that's like damn like we could yeah we could do it it might take a minute but we'll fucking we can do it i know she's cool fuck um so yeah she wrote stones for ibarra which i have heard of at some point and i might look into reading now because it takes place in a small mexican village hmm um, and it's about copper mining, which is sick because I'm Mexican and my dad works out of mine. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> um, that's really cool. I didn't know about her either. So I'll join the ranks of those who didn't know about Ms. Harriet, who's a badass bitch. So that's awesome. I think mm-hmm. that's also cute. And thanks for remembering about my aunt because she's like one of my favorite people. She, her husband died. Like they been, they got married when she was 17 and then he died um, really suddenly. And 
it was really rough but she like went to college and like got a degree and then she became like a professor like a communications professor and I'm like wow she's so cool like she did that all she did that all around she was great so inspiration anyway we love her okay so this book was categorized as a historical fiction in a pro writing aid article titled best historical fiction books of all time when the author was not specified so at the end when we harshly judge um spoiler alert not so harshly judge but when we judge the genre authenticity we don't have anyone to blame it on so it's okay, it's okay. but well, so funnily right. enough um we went me and our mutual friend went to went to barnes and noble the other day and this book was actually on their book talk table Hmm. So we picked it at the right time. You eat skirt, 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 skirt. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> that Pete Davidson thing is like playing in my head right now. I would die for Pete Davidson. It's okay. You know, that goofy looking white boy. I would. I would also die for him. I have. I'm sorry. Okay. Not the other one, but him. Um. All right. Are you ready to synopsize this book for our friends and dear listeners, including <clears throat> Zach Efron? And Pete Davidson. <laughs> yes, Pete Davidson. They're oh, together. Absolutely, because they're friends. <laughs> okay, we're also really putting this off because we're not ready to be sad and discuss all the sadness. So, yeah, so sad. <laughs> I just, I low-key want to get this over with because I'm so sad, but I also don't want to talk about it again because I'm not really ready, but I just feel like we gotta, we gotta do it. Well, Let's do it. Rip off that fucking band-aid. Rip it off. Back of the book. Oh, fuck. How do we pronounce her name? Okay, so I knew this was going to happen because we suck at everything. I'm just calling her Marie. I literally am not going to go through all that shit. And also, I know we're going to pronounce every single one of their names wrong, because I'm pretty sure the boy, we're going to pronounce his name wrong, too. Pfennig? German. Pfennig? Huh? No, his first name. Pfennig. Pfennig? Oh, Werner? I'm pretty sure it's supposed Vena. to be like, like Werner, yeah, with like a V, but Vena. I'm not calling him that. I'm calling him Werner. I literally don't have time to pronounce things correctly. So, no, sorry, I got it. I took it. one semester. I, I took one semester of French, and it did not help me at all with these fucking names. Also, why are we talking about um, other languages? Do you know how many days I've been practicing Spanish because I was learning Spanish for you? <laughs> how many days? Four hundred and eighteen days. But I four twenty. I've been practicing Spanish every single day for you, and I'm pretty sure you gave up on like the second week. So, Andy second said, day, more like it. Andy said, I want to get better at Spanish. And I said, okay, I'll learn Spanish too so we can practice together. Flash forward a year, and I'm the only one that's doing Spanish. It's fine. I'm sorry that I assume my natural skill will carry me through life. <laughs> it's fine. Okay, so we're calling her Marie. That's what we're doing. That's, that's her name. So. I'm downloading Duolingo right fucking now. I didn't mean to guilt you. I mean, I did a little bit, but I didn't mean to guilt you into actually downloading the app. I just want to make you feel bad. So. No, I just need to like, I need to show myself that I still know Spanish. Okay, but. 
Oh, it did not hit All my foot. Okay, All the light sorry. you cannot see, I'm slowly losing, I'm actually quickly losing light in this, in this world that I'm in, so. Just Literally all I the light you in a cannot vehicle. see. I record outside, so we have to, we have to do this. Marie LeBlanc lives with her father in Paris, near the Museum of Natural History, where he works. When she is 12, the Nazi, the Nazis occupy Paris and a father and daughter flee to the walled citadel of Saint Malo, where Marie, Marie's exclusive, no, fuck, Marie's reclusive great uncle lives in a tall house by the sea. With them, they carry what might be the museum's most valuable and dangerous jewel. In a mining town in Germany, Werner Fennig, an orphan, grows up with his younger sister, enchanted by a crude radio they find that brings them news and stories from places they have never seen or imagined. Werner becomes an expert at building and fixing these crucial instruments and is enlisted to use his talent to track down the resistance. Marie and Werner, from warring countries, both having lost many of the people they loved, come together in St. Malo as Doer illuminates the ways against all odds people try to be good to one another. 10 years in the writing, all the light we cannot see is magnificent, deeply moving, oh fuck, is a magnificent, deeply moving novel from a, a writer whose sentences never fail to thrill. Already then. So that's LA is, Times. <laughs> yeah. So that is a story that we will be covering. But first, we're going to do our weekly smokable break. And I will be smoking um, out of my vape pen again because I'm, as always, a douchebag who vapes. And I am smoking um, a live resin, and it is called is pineapple pie, and it is a sativa. Oh, is that real? That's actually a live resin in that cartridge. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, you're fucking with me. You don't know. <laughs> no, it is. Um, when I go to the store, they always said, "Do you want a do you want a live resin or do you?" And I never know what that means. So. I it just means it. it's got more of the organic material of the plant, so you can taste more of the natural plant's flavors. It might not be oh. as strong, but it's like it's supposed to be tastier. Oh, well, yeah. I love that shit. Love that shit. Yeah, they always ask me if I want a live resin, and I'm always like, yes, I do. Of course I do. That is what I want, <laughs> or I never actually know. So I also usually you just know. walk in. I usually just walk in and say, I would like a sativa, and they say, okay, which one? And I say, you choose because I don't care. And last time I picked one based off the name alone. Um, I didn't like it because it was Indica, so. No, not today. I decided to switch it up because I found a joint in the car. Cool. What you smoking then, friendo? Um, it was something called ice cream cake. Um, it is an Indica. It is a cross between wedding cake and gelato 33. And it's a real relaxer. It's supposed to be very like a uh, sedating leave my mind and body relaxed and it's a uh, it's got uh, like some vanilla -y flavor you know it's, it's nice it's good shit well we're gonna take our break real quick and then we will be back to discuss this very traumatic experience that we shared so <laughs> we'll see you at the sesh <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i think that's so funny
also the stupid i had like a cluster of like four zits from my fucking mask and it like erupted and now it looks like i have a cold sore and i don't it just makes me upset I always hate those because they make me feel like I'm a meth head with like open sores and shit. I'm out of here, dogs. Cool it down. I just, we like don't wear masks in the kitchen, and I've been wearing a mask in the kitchen, and they're all like, "Why are you wearing a mask?" Because like, I fucking look disgusting. Like this looks awful. I want to. Don't look at me. And then you like pointed it out the other day, and I was like, Fuck. <laughs> "So obvious." Sorry, I just did it because I also had a really bad one. It's still, it's right anyway. there. I can't, you can't even see it on your face. Mine's like, yes, you can, it's right there. Like, <laughs> Mine's like, it literally looks like I have a, like a meth store or something. Like, anyway. we'll quit smoking meth. How about that? Just there's nothing else to do here. I'm sorry, you chose to move there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I brought home my eggs. I made the eggs. I made these. You make them? Like you grew I them helped. with your chickens? <laughs> wow, that's a lot of eggs. I hope chickens made. Yeah, they've been going overtime. I've I like I'm I'm not taking these home by choice. <laughs> I need to get rid of some fucking eggs. Yeah, I got 18 um, fresh at the ass eggs. Go get Jared and go egg um, the pizza place. I like that you're still lighting it with your fucking lighter, though. You're a giant. No, I already already smoked the joint. I'm just going to do some dabs. It's still alive, you know? I got told that coughing makes it makes your high higher. Is that true? <laughs> well, what'd you say? I was tortured. <laughs> Sorry, that when you cough, it like makes you higher. In a way, mostly it's the deprivation of oxygen to your brain that the coughing does that helps with your high. Mm-hmm. I was like, that seems weird, but I would believe anything that Estoner told me because I don't know shit about weed. So, as usual, they're right. In a way. Usually I don't like when I'm pale, but like I actually like Loki, I'm just looking at myself in this little box. So I'm like, my skin looks nice this pale. Like it looks good. You're cute. You look like a little vampire. With your you look like you're you're on the, the away team in the Cullen's baseball game. Oh yeah. Well this is a football jersey, but not a not it's a it's all sports. That's true. It's also really hot in here. I'm like, this is way too hot. I should have worked something else. I thought it was going to be cold. Save the bees. What? <coughs> save the bees. <coughs> oh, yeah. Save the bees. All right, friends. So we are back from our break and ready to dive on in to the book. So my first um, note is from page five, and it says that all evening she has been marching her fingers around the model, waiting for her great uncle, Etienne, who owns this house, who went out the previous night while she slept and who has not returned. 
Now it is night again, another revolution of the clock, and the whole block is quiet, and she cannot sleep. And I just said, that is got to be so terrifying. Like, I remember being a kid and waiting for my mom to come home. And for some reason, she was always gone for, like, a really long, ungodly amount of time. And I, at some point during the, during the time that she was gone, I would always get really stressed out and start to worry that like something had happened to her and she wasn't actually coming back. And that was just literally me, a small child in Alaska in the early 2000s with anxiety. <laughs> like I can't imagine waiting for someone to come home living in Europe during World War II. <laughs> like at some point you have to just assume they were, they were not coming back. I don't know. That's just what I was thinking about it and like how scary that must have been. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's super fucking stressful. No, that's super stressful. How? Especially back then, because like this is the 40s. So like it was some it was some wild times. I don't know if anyone knows anything about World War II, but it was pretty wild back then. Yeah. And I just feel like every time somebody you cared about left your site during World War II, you were probably like, there's a high possibility you will not be coming back to me. And that's scary terrifying awful yeah so, so this, yeah this book's just like already starting off just like really just a giant bummer and just like add on top of that that she like is literally blind like we know she's blind because of the back of the book like I haven't really discussed it in the story yet but we know she's blind so you're just like that's added on top of this whole level of terror that everyone was feeling she also has to do all of that without sight that's just that's so terrifying all right, so my first note. Well, damn, that prologue was intense. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I guess just to place us firmly in time, uh, the prologue takes place not too long after D-Day. Um, so 1944 was a big deal. Um, I'm a big old history nerd, so I'm I'm going to really try not to be a big old history nerd this whole podcast, but I might not be able to help it uh, if it helps with the context of the story, you know? Mm-hmm. So D-Day, it was the big, one of the biggest landings. No, it was the biggest landing at Normandy Beach. Um, it was the biggest seaborne invasion. Um, and it was basically the turning point of World War II for the Allies. Um, and then... The first chapter takes place in 1934, so about 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, little Marie uh, heads along to the museum that her father works at, um, and she gets this bit of exhibition dump, I think, uh, about this jewel that I'm pretty sure is what she was clutching during the prologue. Um, with the bombs, you know, you were there. It just happened. <laughs> anyway, um, allegedly it's cursed. So this is looking real fiction on the historical fiction side. Very excited to see where this goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we forgot to say this at the top, but um, my dad's obsessed with World War II. So it's kind of like all I've heard about my whole life. So I think that I got like weirdly interested in it. But um, Andy actually forgot to mention she lived in Germany 
So yes, I did. That. And so you said that's one of the reasons why you're so interested in World War II is because you lived in Germany. Yeah, I saw a lot of the history that made it a big part of being there. They really, they make us take a class when we move um, to a base that's overseas, uh, mm -hmm. like a basic, like an introduction to this country class. Oh, wow. And they made a big deal of us being aware and respecting World War II. And they make a big deal that absolutely under no circumstances do you bring up Hitler or Nazis or do you anything Nazi-like or Nazi-related. Um, it's a big mm -hmm. deal over there. But yeah, I lived there for a couple years. And while I was there, I saw just a lot of the history uh, of Germany, of really just like a bunch of Western Europe. And I was a big history nerd. So of course, mm -hmm. I was obsessed with history. I lived on a military base. I lived around it. Those buildings, I I don't know how detailed I want to get, but I lived on a place called Panzer Kasern. And it was called Panzer Kasern because during World War II, that's where the Panzers were, the fucking tanks. And they still had the buildings. I literally went shopping there. They reverted the tank buildings into the PX. <laughs> like oh, wow. you would go there and you would buy soda in the same place that a tank was stored. Like, 60 years ago and it was so wild it was cool it's cool yeah, as fuck that is, yo that is super cool um i just didn't want us to get too far into the recording without or too far into the podcast without saying that um indy did in fact live in germany for a while which i think gives her a very um like an edge to um understanding and like have she just has more more thoughts about the the book i think than i might have because i don't have that pre knowledge disposition so anyway if it seems unequal it seems like i didn't put that much work into this episode i hope what did what was your dad interested in um mostly air honestly mostly airplanes so like he Ugh. like is like lame <laughs> yeah it's not like as cool I guess I don't know but we also just have like so many World War II books in our house and so anyway I'm not I think he's mostly interested in the planes so that's he made us go to <clears throat> like all the aviation museums so I don't know he's really it's such that. an old man interest <laughs> it is it is um, anyway, so moving right along. Um, okay, and I did look up how to pronounce this word that I'm going to mention, and I wrote it out of my notes, and now that I'm looking at it, I'm still not 100% sure that I'm going to be able to say it correctly. If we ever have listeners, and if any of them happen to speak French, I'm just apologizing to you. I looked it up, and I still don't think I can say it, so I'm just apologizing. I'm sorry I'm ignorant. Um, anyway, so this passage, it's talking about um, Marie and her dad, and her. So her mom's not around, so it's just her and her dad, and she goes to work with him all the time, and you know she she loses her sight, so she becomes very dependent on him, and they just have a very um, sweet relationship. And so anyway, this passage says he sweeps her hair back from her ears, he swings her above his head, he says she is is his a mer vermo. I don't know if that's how you say it, 
Um, but it says he will never leave her, not in a million years. And I just said that, like, I'm, why am I crying already? Like, I'm calling it. Something bad happens to her dad. I'm assuming he, when I wrote this note, I was assuming he died. Um, we'll get to it later, but that's, anyway, I just assumed that he was going to die and I'm just not okay already. And I looked up that word that I can't say in French and it means wonder. And so I was like, now I'm crying again because he's so proud of her at this point and like he just tells her that she's his wonder and it just makes me sad <laughs> so I cried <laughs> and that's literally page 31 so that, that should tell you where this book's gonna go friends so anyway that made me sad did you um have any yeah, this book is that? big on the feels yeah this book yeah. is big on the feels um I didn't start crying just yet, but that's because I'm dead inside. But I definitely do cry later on. I'm not going to expose us, but you think that it just made me sad because she had such a good relationship with her dad. And I just kind of was like, it would have been nice. And then, like, I feel like I should point out that this book jumps um, in two different fashions. One is that it jumps times. So sometimes we're reading stuff that happened in the future and sometimes it's so it's, or I guess sometimes we read what's happening in the past, not the future, but it's just kind of, it's not confusing. I think he does a really good job of laying it out. And I, I feel like we learned what we needed to learn when we needed to learn it, but it is also sometimes hard to read books like that. And the other thing that it does is it switches who it's focusing on. So between the two main characters, and that's another thing that's kind of like hard to do. And I think he did a really good job with that too. It's a good book, guys, just like spoiler alert, it's a good book. But <laughs> um, but so now we're talking about the German kid, Werner or Werner or whatever we're gonna call him. So it says he harvests parts from the supply shed. Oh wait, and this is page 38. Um, he harvests parts from the supply shed, snips of copper wire, screws, a bent screwdriver. He charms the druggist's wife into giving him broken earphones. He salvages a solenoid from a discarded doorbell, solders it to a sister, and makes a loudspeaker. Within a month, he manages to redesign the receiver entirely, adding new parts here and there, and connecting it to a power source. And I was just like, I'm forever amazed by people who have the type of brain to do this type of work like to build and rebuild and understand how things work. I'm just like not built that way. And I have a coworker who is and listening to him talk about how stuff works and how to build stuff and what he has to do to fix a problem. And it's just like, I don't understand. So it's fascinating and also slightly infuriating because I just feel like I'm dumb, but you're not I'm, dumb. First off, you're not dumb. I'm just super fascinated by people <laughs> that can, that have like an engineering type brain like this kid has. It's just like, I was, I think I was already, I think I was like, oh, I'm, I think I formed an unhealthy attachment to this character. I'm just going to say that. And like, I think I just too emotionally attached to this character. I think just from that part, like just hearing yeah. that he was like, so smart and I was just like something bad's gonna happen to him and yeah 
it's really but, obvious yeah. from the beginning that he's like he's obviously got some great like he's got some sort of gift or he's got like some really good like potential he's just like he's smart and he, he could do so much with this smartness and I want him to I really want him to do like to to go with this I really want him to be smart and do good things mm-hmm. yeah definitely um I'm so hopeful at this point so hopeful <laughs> I know because he, uh, okay we'll get there so we're, Werner, Werner, however we say his name, he has a sister. Her name is, are we calling it, how are we saying it, Jetta or is it Yetta or like, I don't know how to say his sister's uh, name. Jet, Joan Jet. Jet. So Joan I, Jet is here. Yetta, I don't know. Anyway, so he has a little sister and I think they're three years apart and they're orphans and it's, I, it's so sad. So they're orphans and his dad was a minor and like he mines not like he was a child he just anyway um minor like he works in the <laughs> mine. and in the town that he's from like that's the work so that's what the men do and that's what weren't burner is gonna have to do and that's sad in it's like in itself like knowing that you're forced into like a life that you're not choosing and it's also dangerous that's all just sad on top of the fact that this kid's dad literally died in the mines and so he like just has to he's just gonna have to work in his father's tomb you know like yeah that's what he gets to look forward to he gets to look forward to dying in the mine like his dad it's so horrible and so it's just um one of this note just they were talking they're thinking about it and he said his father's down there a mile beneath the house body never recovered haunting the tunnel still and I was just like I have old school mining is just so terrifying like I'm surprised surprised that anybody survives that life like I can't imagine the trauma of having your dad die in the mines and then knowing that when you come of age you're gonna have to march on down there too and just awful it's awful to think about and how that was like such a thing for so long so many people just like died in mind it's just scary anyway so that was like a really intense thing I just I think that's when I got well you just keep getting emotionally attached to these characters and I got super emotionally attached to him and felt really bad about how his life was gonna work out um but also you're predisposed to being emotionally attached to Murray as well and so she starts the book she has cataracts and she's like slowly losing her eyesight and then she does lose her eyesight and um so she thinks a lot um and like describes a lot in colors like the way things feel is like a color and that's kind of like a repeated theme but this is the first time that they mentioned it. And it says color. That's another thing people don't expect. In her imagination, in her dreams, everything has a color. The museum buildings are beige, chestnut, hazel. It finds us are lilac and lemon yellow and fox brown. Piano cords glow in the speaker of the wireless in the guard station, projecting rich blank blacks and complicated blues down the hall towards the key pound. Church bells sent arcs of bronze careening off the windows. These are silver. Pigeons are ginger and auburn and occasionally golden. Big cypress trees, the big cypress tree she and her father passed by on their morning walk are illuminated, kaleidoscopes 
each a needle in a polygon of light. She has no memories of her mother, but imagines her as white, a soundless brilliance. Her father radiates a thousand colors, opal, strawberry red, deep russet, wild green, a smell like oil and metal, the feel of a rock tumbler sliding home, the sound of his key rings playing, chiming as he walks. He is an olive green when he talks to the department head and exfoliating series of oranges when he talks to Mademoiselle Fleury, I can't pronounce French words, from its greenhouse, a bright red when he tries to cook. He glows sapphire when he sits over his workbench in the evening, humming amongst Humming almost inaudibly as he works, the tip of his cigarette gleaming a prismatic blue. And I just like read that. Okay, it doesn't sound like I've read that paragraph that many times, but I think I reread that paragraph like nine times. Just it's so pretty. I don't know. Just like it was so well written. I just, I really appreciated this and I wanted everybody else. Um, I wanted everyone else to hear it. Like, I don't know why it was so beautiful to me, but I wanted all of our listeners, all of our many listeners and my dear friend, Indy and, you know, Zach Efron to get to experience that very beautiful collection of sentences. So sorry. Absolutely. Sorry. My goodness. Um, <laughs> it's good. Okay, it's good to I... stop and appreciate things like color, you know? You can't, like... Ugh. Well, it's she's saying that's how she hears it, you know. Like I don't know, it's like in her mind that's what that's what people look like because she she was uniquely blind in that she like lost her sight slowly, so she like knows what things look like. I don't know, it's just I it just got me. It was so pretty, so <laughs> very pretty. Um, so then um, we jump back to Werner and. On, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you those pages. Those were 44 through 45. And then we jump back no, to Garner, and we're here on page 58. And they're, they have a minister at their orphanage having dinner with them. And they're talking about how smart Werner is. And um, anyway, he basically says, well, the man, is, the minister, he's a realist, but he's kind of a dick. And he says, the only place your brother is going, little girl, is to the mines. As soon as he turns 15, same as every other boy in this house. And I just literally was sitting at work because I was reading this in the downtime. And I, like, started tearing up. And I had to turn around and hide my face because my coworker was going to ask me what was wrong. Like, he would have been like, why are you crying? Because he already called me a nerd for reading at work. So, anyway, I was like, I can't compound on this. So okay. I was just like, this poor kid, like he's an, he's an orphan and he has to work in the mines that literally killed his dad. Like his future is so bleak and it's so sad. So that was awful. Yeah. I think that's the first time I heard officially broke. Cause like already just like, you know, he has so much potential and he, he can like, he doesn't need to go to the mine. He doesn't have to, he can do so much more than just the mine. He doesn't need to die in yeah. the mine. Let him read popular let him read principles of mechanics what the fuck harm is that gonna do exactly like they're just stupid they were so okay with like just condemning them to that life and it just makes me sad it's so sad he's he could have done so much mm -hmm. and then this okay and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about this later 
but this so like the sadder part of the whole thing is like the path that he goes on is supposed to better his life and then it still doesn't like it just it's shittier than he should have just stayed home and worked in the mines you know like which is that's all he did something because we really didn't want him to work in the mines so like but I'm saying he should have stayed home and worked in the mines like would have been better than the path he went on he just was born into terrible circumstances you know yes so sad sad big sad so sad it's not the biggest sad but it is it is it is a sad you know that at this point in time you know that meme where it's like i don't remember what it starts with but basically gets to like i know it's the great depression and then it's like the colossal the big sad yeah the, it just keeps going like that's literally that's that's this kid's life actually it's both of their lives except it doesn't end the same but like both of their lives they just continuously bad shit keeps happening to them and it's just like the it, they, the minor inconvenience and then it just keeps going up from there and just escalating and their lives suck so bad this is a shitty time. Shit, World War Two was and, a shitty time for everyone. You no, know, I just want to cry right now. Okay, sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, um. So yeah, my heart's also breaking uh, for these poor little kids. Little Warner with his little his little fucking little boy genius and his radio that he breaks because his family might get shot for having a fucking radio. And the poor little blind girl. Uh, so yeah. Like Annie said, we're jumping back and forth into the future. At this point, we're like in the past. Um, page 118. Fuck, let me get there. We're in the past at some point. June of 1940. Mm-hmm. So four years before the bombs. Um, I know, Ugh, dramatic. So little Marie and her dad have made it to St. Malo uh, looking for her uncle that her father says is 76% crazy. Um, He's got severe PTSD and he's an agoraphobe. So he's got a lot of issues from uh, World War I. Mm -hmm. Um, So originally they were trying to go see someone that the museum curator knew to give them this like little cursed stone because what they did is they like they made a couple copies mm-hmm. and they sent them out with a copy and they sent the other copies around and I think they kept one in the museum basically just to throw the Nazis off the scent because um, this gem is super fucking valuable and so they have one of the copies or they have the gem who knows I don't know if we ever really know I don't think we do um, ever really know I think we're supposed to infer up that it was because of all the shitty things that happened yeah because that's the curse of the stone is whoever has the stone um just like everyone around them around them dies that's just the thing Mm -hmm. um so yeah they they're trying to pawn this stone off on someone so they don't have to keep it they're trying to get it out of paris so the nazis don't get it and the guy's house that they end up trying to find well it blew up so they can't really find the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're arriving here in St. Malo finally. And I thought I would take this time to talk a little bit about it since dad's describing it. So I might as well do it too. 
Yeah, let's do some history. All right, so Saint Malo, it's a port city in Brittany, France. Um, it's obviously named after a saint, Saint Malo. Um, he is one of the seven founding saints of Brittany. He was baptized as an adult by Brandon the Navigator, and then he became his student and potentially going on, uh, going on with Brandage on his famous voyage. Okay, can I stop you right there? I didn't, I didn't know any of this information. Um, but also, I like that his name is Brandon the Navigator. Like, that right? sounds like a douchey frat boy name. It's so <laughs> funny to me that that's literally like a piece of history. That's hilarious. I love it so much. I don't know if we should call that a piece of history. It's 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 Catholic lore. So whether it's real is up for, up for debate. <laughs> okay. So this guy, Brandon the Navigator, do you want me to go into detail on him? I can skip this paragraph. <laughs> do you want to because i can read it do you want people to hear it like yes <laughs> i want the out? world to know okay so then read it um so there is this guy saint brandon and according to the voyage of saint brandon <laughs> the abbot brandon and malo uh left lalarn carfan <laughs> abbey <laughs> with several companions and discovered the island of the blessed. Um, they then went on a second voyage to the island of Sezembre, uh, remaining there for a long period of time. So this is why I, I didn't. I don't know if I believe the story of Brendan. So they allegedly encounter a dead giant who Brendan uh, temporarily revives with his Wait, holy, holiness. Brendan or Brandon? It's Brendan. <laughs> okay, well then my Brendan. joke was so funny. It's very funny. Everything you say is funny. Okay, sorry. Continue. Anyway, Brandon, Brandon, Breen Dan <laughs> revives a giant with his holiness. Um, he then baptizes the giant before it returned to his grave. So thanks for bringing me back to life just to let me die again. That's so, so <laughs> Damn it, Brandon. Damn it, Brandon. But at least his soul is saved. The giant soul is saved because he's been baptized. Um, so yeah, thank you for putting up with that. Um, so this city is super famous for having these walls built around it. Um, I guess a little spoiler alert for me, when I went to look this up, I realized that there was a bombing in August of 1944 that was really famous, um, which I guess isn't really a spoiler because it's kind of where the epilogue was. Uh -huh. So I'm just the dumb. Prologue? Yeah, the prologue. Fuck. Yeah, no, yeah that's I, where the I prologue was. was. <laughs> yeah, I was with you. It's not really that much of a spoiler alert, but it is like interesting. It's yeah, it's interesting. Like it's real. It's it's actually happened. The bombing that they're describing as an actual bombing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the like, city that makes it good historical fiction, you know, like yes, yeah, because there I feel like there's levels to historical fiction. There's like stuff that they're like we're gonna we're gonna take a brief smattering of all these pieces of history, but it's gonna be very vague. And then there's like stuff like this, which is like super. I feel like well done. So yeah, I really like this book. <laughs> yeah, I like any of them. Don't um, get me wrong. Like, <laughs> I really like historical fiction. Okay, sorry, continue. 
damn, we both really like historical fiction. How did this happen? How? Um, <laughs> so yeah, the city uh, is the city on the cover, which has a bunch of crazy walls and some sick Gothic architecture, which I, I really appreciate just because I like Gothic architecture. Um, <laughs> um, it's other claim to fame. Uh, other than being bombed in World War II, is it was a stronghold for privateers, which were British-funded legal pirates, which I could get into if you're interested. Do you have interesting information on this? I think it's interesting. <laughs> I would love to hear it. I think everyone would love to hear it. We're doing a history lesson today, folks, and um, if you have a problem with it, jump ahead maybe like a minute. So, yeah. Um, basically, it's a military tactic used since the 1500s, where the Royal Navy or some government-funded ships will attack trade ships, uh, specifically to weaken other countries and, like, basically profit profit off of trade that isn't theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they were being pirates, but it was okay because they had permission. Um, and the only reason they weren't able to be legally prosecuted is because they had to bear proof that someone commissioned them to privateer. Um, which got really shady because in times of war, information moved very slowly. Um, and so when you're doing your thing, attacking ships, uh, stealing stuff, you might end up in prison or getting hung because you thought you were doing your duty. Um, you just didn't know that you weren't supposed to be doing it anymore. Um, it's just been made illegal and legal so many different times that it's always just very vague. Wow. That sucks. Really starting to understand why this book made so many people emotional, me included. Um, it's just really setting you up for heartbreak. Poor little Werner, he's just trying to make a better life for himself. Um, and in doing that, he joins the Nazi youth so he can go to this fucking school so that he could maximize his potential um, because he does not want to work the rest of his life in a mine. He's an orphan and he has no way of paying for school. And so this is literally his only, only way of getting an education. Mm-hmm. And they're going to use him. And he's so smart. And those stupid Nazis, they're going to use him. And he doesn't even care because all he wants is a nice little house with a nice little radio. And poor little Marie Laurie, Marie, her fucking uncle has some terrible, terrible mental issues. And it's just, God, I'm just taking this all very personally. I'm very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it's just, there's a solid chunk of book there where you're just like, this life for the both of them is so awful and it just makes me so sad I was just like I'm so sad the whole book just I mean it was so good but so sad so I totally get why you're like this is the part because I feel like there was a big chunk where all they did was make us sad about these two kids so that's yeah their lives just kept getting worse (laughs) yeah just so much worse Um, Marie's uncle, she ends, he ends up showing her uh, the tower, the like radio tower in the attic. So I guess there was a point to them uh, telling us on the back of the book that the uncle lives in a tall house. This tall house has like a transmitter on the top of it. And they used to broadcast this like French professor radio show, which is the same show that little Werner and his sister used to listen to on the radio that he destroyed. Mm-hmm. And it's just and- sad. <laughs> It is so sad. And it's, yeah, it's her, um, her uncle and her grandpa used to do that. And it's, and it's so like, cute because these two kids are connected somehow. 
and they and it's the thing that keeps connecting them and it's like ugh, this is why people are so sad about this book um yeah I got really because when they made a point to talk about that Vernon and his sister used to listen to it you knew it was going to be important like and then it gets to that yeah point where like, and I guess ah. that's the that's the third meaning of the title of the book all the light we cannot see in reference to radio waves that we can't see which are very yeah. important in the book so anyway that was um yeah so lots of, lots of sadness um I didn't have a lot of notes I think I just got really involved in their lives at this point so I forgot I was supposed to take notes so I apologize my next note is on page uh 161 and they're talking um about how the uncle her great uncle Etienne after her grandpa Henri died um they're like talking about how he messed around with the um with the radio and transmitted stuff and uh, they're talking about the stuff that he would play and um i'm just going to read it because i won't be able to explain it very well so uh, she says um she's talking to her uncle and she says, what did you transmit? And he said, the recordings of my brother, the gramophone company in Paris wasn't interested anymore, but every night I played the 10 recordings we made until most of them were worn out and his song. And she says, the piano. And then he says, Debussy's Claire de Lune. He touches a metal cylinder and the spear stuck on top. I just tucked the microphone into the bell of the gramophone and voila. She leans over the microphone and says, hello out there. He laughs his feathery laugh. Did it ever reach children, she asked, which is, you know, sad because it did reach children. Um, and he says, uh, I don't know. How far can it transmit, Uncle? Far. England? Easily. To Paris? Yes, but I wasn't trying to reach England or Paris. I thought that if I made the broadcast powerful enough, my brother would hear me and that I could bring him some peace, protect him from the, or protect him as he always protected me. You play your brother's own voice to him after he died, and Debussy. Did he ever talk back? The attic ticks. What ghost battles through the walls right now, trying to overhear? She can almost taste her great uncle's fright in the air. No, he says he never did. And I was so sad again. <laughs> like it's just so sad. <laughs> and I said. Please excuse me while I ugly cry for the fifth time since I started reading this book. When I die, I hope you do not play these episodes at me into the ether. If you're trying to contact me, play me some Fleetwood Mac or something. I just don't know that I want to hear myself sound this stupid again. But that was so sad. I was so sad. I was like, that is so cute. Like, that is so pure to just, like, I projected his voice to him because I thought it would bring him peace. Like, there's obviously something wrong with this man, but it was so sweet, and I cried a lot, so I'm sorry. So sweet. He loved his brother. He loved his brother so fucking much. <laughs> Page 196. Hope you're ready to fucking cry again. Chapter, title, The Arrest of the Locksmith. Yes. Guess what they do? They arrest Marie's dad. <laughs> 
thing, the bad thing that happens to him. Anyway. Continue. You know why they arrest him? Please tell us why they arrest him. Because this fucking old man loves his poor blind daughter so much, she goes around town taking measurements so he can build her a model of the fucking town so that she can figure out how to get her way around. Because he did that for her when they lived in Paris. And they thought he was suspicious, then they put him in fucking prison. <laughs> and I just, I think it's funny, there's two times in this in this book that we make notes basically about the exact same thing which I think is so interesting just as like a like as a almost not a casual observer but I just think it's interesting how different our brains are and how we usually don't have the same things but sometimes things are so poignant that point I don't know how to say that word but so important that you and I are just like in on it and there's two times in this book and this is the first time because I made a note too. And I said, where are they taking him? I swear to God, if he goes to a concentration camps, I will absolutely lose my mind. Like this man, not that, not that anyone should have gone to a concentration camp, but like this man was going to a concentration, if he goes to a concentration camp, it's because he was literally making a model for his daughter. Like, not that anyone should have gone anyway. I'm just, but it just, I was going to lose my mind. So I just wanted to note that. But also, this is the big, this is one of the big sads that happens to Marie is they go and her uncle is agoraphobic and she doesn't spend too much time with him because he can't spend time with her. He just can't. And then her dad leaves her and says he's coming back and then he gets put in jail. So it's just a lot. Okay. I'm sorry. Let's keep going. She's just like she's alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's, has, yeah, it is a lot. Fuck. She's just she's all alone. It's poor little girl. And she has her uncle's like um housekeeper. <sighs> anyway, we'll get there. For um, now. <laughs> she has her and she's so sweet to her, and everybody just loves this girl so much. I feel like Marie feels like she's a burden, you know, on everyone, but like everyone so far like everyone we meet in the book just like loves her so much absolutely it's so anyway okay let's keep going all right all right so we're jumping back into the future um back to the future if you will so marie is like struggling to survive in the bomb city in one of the only houses left standing and of course this chapter ends with someone walking through the front door and I don't know who it is because we're jumping back into the past when they were young. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, it's page two eighteen. Poor little Werner at this poor at this terrible terrible school. Um, he's talking to one of the teachers there, I think, Mister Doctor Hoptman. <laughs> yeah, that um, guy. Mister Hoptman, not a fan. Spoiler alert: We hate this man. I hate, spoiler alert, I hate all Nazis. <laughs> I love you, Werner. I'm sorry. But we kind of hate you. I'm sorry. It's hard. Okay, let's keep going. This book is hard. Okay, so what marvels does science cultivate here now? Superman soldiers, Dr. Hoffman says, and weather-making machines and missiles that can be on standby a thousand miles away. Wow. And I was like, hmm. 
since the second time they've made some sort of list of scientific achievement that the Nazis are working towards and they just all seem ridiculous mm-hmm. but let me be a little bit of a history nerd they're all literally what the Nazis were actually working on at the time these ridiculous stupid things they were working on actual super soldiers that's real that's so funny to me they actually thought they could make weather machines that's so funny but the long-range missile thing you know that was the only plausible thing and that's the only thing that they excel at. you know they did not unfortunately they did not make a weather machine bummer that's so interesting um, yeah i really love how just like how spot on this book is in the historical part mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of it i guess it makes sense that he took 10 years to write this book because like there's so much yeah. there's so much detail which like doesn't seem like detail but it is like he did such a good job with this book yeah it's like terribly realistic terribly realistic definitely um so jump into page 252 one of my favorite things ever old ladies resistance club Uh, led by well maybe not led by but definitely participated in by um the housekeeper absolutely she's a badass they're all badasses it's just a bunch of old women that are getting together to just like stick it to the germans by inconveniencing them Mm -hmm. like hiding their mail or like misprinting the train timetables or like doing like the the dog poop in a (laughs) in a in a bag on the doorstep yeah (laughs) that trick um and then they they ended up they paint they spray painted a dog the colors of the french flag which while I dig. I love the energy. Love it. Don't love the spray painting a dog. Please don't ever do that. But yeah, that was a pretty cool. And um, Marie like is participating. Like she's being helpful. And I think that was really helpful for her in this time because like she keeps track of how many days her father's been gone after he promised he was going to be back in 10 days. And like, so I think it was like integral for her like survival to focus have something else to focus on like so I think that was really cool absolutely yeah yeah it's really great that she was given like this purpose yeah yeah she was a cool fucking spy that's That's sick that's sick that's every kid's fucking dream man like so anyway that's cool it was dangerous as hell but um so yeah I guess now I have to bring up the main villain of the story um which isn't just the war there's this dude named Von Rumpel who has the worst name he has a super villain's name mm-hmm. definitely does he's got cancer um and he's looking for this gem the what the fuck is it even called I don't know this, if I even remember the something ocean the fire of the oceans, ocean of fire. Yeah, yeah, oceans of fire. I think that sounds right. I know it's one of the so, titles of the book. Anyway, it's okay. You can go. Uh, I'll look for it. All right. So whatever. So this is an excerpt um, from the title from the chapter that von Rumpel's being evil in, just to go into some evil Nazi shit. Um, the guards whispered that a Rembrandt was in there and pieces of a famous altarpiece from Krakow all being sent to a salt mine somewhere deep beneath the Austrian village of Altuis. 
where the mile-long tunnel drops into a glittering arcade filled with shelving three stories high, upon which the high command is stacking Europe's fine art. They will assemble everything under one unassailable roof, a temple to the human endeavor visitors will marvel at, marvel at it for a thousand years. So I hope you're ready for a tangent. <laughs> Already love a good tangent. Okay, so this paragraph took me somewhere deep in the depths of my memory. I remember once upon a time when I lived in that place called Germany, um, we would visit these, this salt mine every year. So as a part of our yearly school age services summer field trip series, we would always go to the salt mine where they would tell us, uh, the tour guides would tell us every year about how, how the Nazis stored a bunch of fine art in the salt mine. So it's just interesting to be like, oh, hey, I've been there. And like, oh, hey, they're talking about that place that I've been. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and just to brag about my other yearly field trips, um, we also went to the Rotosport factory, the chocolate factory, oh. and we would always go to the BMW museum. That's so cool. Um, and then my least favorite field trip was uh, the super traumatizing field trip to the fish pond, um, where I don't know if you know uh, the laws in Germany about fishing. As soon as you catch it, you have to kill it. Otherwise, it's cruel. And <clears throat> school-age services, services is for children 12 and under. And poor little 11-year-old, 10, 11-year-old uh, Indy was the oldest on the trip. And so, of course none of the little children could kill the fish that they caught. So who got to kill all the fish? Oh, no. so that traumatized me. Horrible. Oh my God. So I hate fish. I knew that about you, but I didn't know why. That's horrible. <laughs> Remember when you took that fishery class though? Like that was a real yeah. angry to do. Like, I, all I wanted to do was save the fish. Literally all I want to do is save the fish. And all they talked about during, during that is how they catch different fish and you, they collect data from them in ways that kill them. Wow. I was like, this is not what I'm about. Is it sea of flames? Sea of flames, yes. Cause it's like a blue and then it's got like a little bit of flame inside. And we so long to find that. But yes, sea of flames is this rock that Marie may or may not have because we that don't the Nazis are after. Yeah. And also this evil man is after. So Von Runkel, the fucking super villain. So on page 278, I took a note and okay. So it says, I'm again, I can't, I can barely speak English. So there's a word in here. It's a name that I can't say. So I'm sorry. Um, it says we do not they're talking about Marie's father and they say because he went back to Paris and said he'd be back in 10 days and then has not been back in a very long time so they say we do not know yet exactly which prison we believe it could be Brett Brett now said fuck it's a concentration camp like mind lost because I spoiler alert I googled this and I was like yeah that's 100% a concentration camp so they're calling it a prison but we know what it is and one of the things that I find very interesting about this book, um, which I talk about a little bit later, I think, in my final like review, but one of the things I find, find super interesting about this book is that um, I've always 
viewed World War II as like everything is centered around the Holocaust. And I never really thought, this sounds awful, but like I never really thought about it as anything else, like other than that. So it's so interesting that this book kind of dances around all of the like very common things that would alert you to the fact that like this is about the Holocaust. Like, you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. Cause like, while I was reading it, I didn't even like, literally until we were talking about it, really, literally until I saw this note from you, fuck, it's a concentration camp. In my head, he was in a prison. Yeah, he was exactly. in a prison or he was in a work camp. He wasn't in a concentration camp. I didn't look it up. I don't know. I didn't want to. <laughs> I couldn't. But I like, I recognize the name because I've, I talk about this later, but like, I've been weirdly like interested in the Holocaust. We get into it. We get, well, actually we don't, but like, as most children, <laughs> as most eighth grade children do in America, I don't know, most that I know of, I feel like it happens in a lot more states, um, but definitely where I'm from um, in Alaska, it, most eighth graders take a trip to Washington, D.C., because that's the year in American curriculum where you're learning about, like, government for the first time because you do it in eighth grade and then you have to learn about it again in high school it's like more in depth but like that's the first time in the curriculum you're learning about it really and so they go and take us to Washington DC for like a week and we went to the Holocaust Museum when we were there and oh god like, I've always wanted to go there it was a lot and just I went to a really small school and so there was only like 16 of us I think on our trip which is was nice because I feel like we had a we had a more like we had an easier time learning the one time that I can definitely recall is when we went to the holocaust museum and we were all broken up into like groups so we had like four chaperones and so our 16 of us were broken up into groups of four so that you know it was an even dispersal of student to teacher ratio and I just remember me and my group like walking around for and just holding hands and crying the whole time. Like it was just like, it was a lot. And I feel like it's a lot for kids. Like it was definitely a lot for middle schoolers. And I think also like we didn't get to completely appreciate it because we weren't fully formed human beings at that point. And I would love to go back, but I think I would be a fucking wreck I just distinctly remember like they have a bunk and everything and so like it's a it's a very cool museum um but one of the things I think the thing that I can distinctly remember is there's one of those giant glass museum boxes you know like they're always like clear and it's just very it's a staple in museums to have like uh, like a giant clear box anyway um it's just full of shoes just chock full of people's shoes and we were so fucked by that like we were just like I think it's towards the end and I just remember like it was just me and my friend I'm not gonna say her name but me and my friend we were like literally like holding hands and like sobbed like broke into like a new sob at that point and our like our uh group like the guys in our group had to like help weasel us out of the group of people because we were just like dead that was just like 
it was so sad. So sad. So yeah, that was a lot. It's, it's a lot to, anyway, so I got really sad when I read that he, he was in a concentration camp because at that point they didn't know that he would probably never come back, but I pretty much knew that he would never come back. And it was very sad and very hard to deal with. So damn you, I wanted to hope. <laughs> yeah. So then we hopped back to our other, our other sad, sad child and it's Werner and he's been working because he's so smart, smarter than the other cadets, which, okay. The other thing that's inter again, interesting about this book in that it steers away from like things that would trigger you to thinking about the Holocaust is that they never, I don't think they ever specifically say like, well, they do. They say Heil Hitler. They don't ever specifically say that he's in Hitler's. Yeah. Group. Not that I've noticed. Yeah. Not that I've noticed. They really, they really do a good job of like not making it super obvious exactly what's happening. Yeah. And yeah, from what I remember, like they don't ever really say Hitler youth. They don't ever really say not, they don't ever really say Nazis or anything. Yeah. So it's so interesting. So, um, Anyway, so he's he's in Hitler's youth and he's smarter than the other but cadets. So he's working with this this guy that we don't like, Doctor Hauptman or whatever. I don't know. I'll call him Optiman. Doctor Asshole for all I care. I don't know. I don't know how to say his name. But anyway, <laughs> um, I was he um he's working with him in his lab and it's kind of weird because he kind of uses it as a punishment because I don't know if we got to this point or if it's happened already but Werner wants to go home like he goes and asks this guy if he can go home and he won't let him and he like punishes him I think I feel like he punishes him for asking to go home by like making him do more stuff in the lab um and also this is where he meets um Volkheimer who is another character that we have at least I have a very complicated feelings um anyway that's where he meets him and he's just like this giant of a child like bigger than all the other cadets and um but he's always so nice to Werner like they're just like they're like everyone's scared of this big guy and Werner's an orphan and like he feels like he's an outsider and I don't know they just like form this little bond and they're just spoiler alert together basically for like the rest of their lives and anyway so he's working in this lab and with this man and then at some point this man leaves because he goes the doctor goes um to join the war I guess I don't know he's gone he uh, goes to do Nazi shit yeah Nazi's gonna Nazi so not that coming <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to try not to make that joke very much. So anyway, he, he leaves, but he writes the school and Werner is um, 16 at this point, I believe. And they write the school and it says our former techni technical series professor, Dr. Hauptman has called to our attention to the discrepancy. He has arranged that you will be sent to a special technological division in the where match. I don't know. A division, sir. You've been here under false pretenses. His voice is oily and pleased his chin non-existent 
out a window, the school band practices the tri triumphal march. Werner notices a Nordic-looking boy stagger beneath the weight of a tuba. The commandant urged disciplinary action, but Dr. Hauptmann suggested that you would be eager to offer your skills to the Reich. Behind, from behind his desk, the assistant produces a, unif a folded uniform, slate gray eagle on the breast, a Lipson on the collar, then a green, black, coal scuttle helmet, obviously too large. The band blares and stops. The band instructor screams names. The commandant's assistant says, you are very lucky, cadet, to serve is an honor. When, sir, you'll receive instructions within a fortnight, that is all. So what this Dr. Hauptmann guy did was write a letter to say that Werner's lying about his age. He's actually 18 and he can't stay in the school after he turns 18. And I'm like, I don't understand what this doctor is trying to do. Is he trying to help him get out of the school where he doesn't want to be in the first place because he already asked to go home or is he punishing him? Like either way, he shouldn't be lying to these people and saying that <laughs> Werner is lying about his age. Like, you shouldn't be lying to people to make other people out to be liars because I don't know about you but I don't like people who lie to me and it's like don't these guys are unhinged like they're literally Nazis so like they could have just killed him they could have been like oh you lied about your age that's it that's the end of your life like it's just so fucked up to lie about it even if you I, I don't know if it's ever made clear that he was trying to help him or not but he just like it sucks i was just fucking i hate this doctor hate yeah this doctor puts him directly into harm's way and like yeah is he doing it to get him away from the school or is he just doing it because like i think it's just because werner's smart he's gonna do something mm -hmm. that that the fatherland needs to be needs done you know and they're gonna use him yeah but also on the back of the book it does say um or maybe not. Oh yeah. In the back of the book, the last, like one of the last sentences of the description um, says both having lost many people they loved come together in St. Mallow as door illuminates the ways against all odds, people try to be good to one another. And I think that's really important in this book, which we kind of talked about before when you called me out for my comment um, <laughs> in our private, in our private group text. But anyway, um, I'm not calling you out. I just wanted to remind you in case. So <laughs> I think the point of this book is, I think, which I could be wrong about it. I could be A, not read it all the way fully like <laughs> I should have, or B, I could just be narrow-minded. But I feel like the point of this book is that people do bad things, but does that make them a bad person? And like, at at what point do they become a bad person you know because there's people in this book that are like good and we never question anything like marie marie marie's good marie's whole family is just very like marie's whole side of the story i feel like is very like everybody is good and then you don't question anything and then there's burner's whole side where it's just like everybody is questionable and everybody does shitty things and everybody makes shitty choices horrible choices even but it's like at, but they also have been showing us like pieces of their humanity i guess so it's just like 
gets so confusing because you want to hate them because they're obviously Nazis, but it's so difficult. So I think that's the point of the book, which again, let's do a counter for how many times we say like the author is possibly a genius, you know, (laughs) like we say that in like every single episode, either they're geniuses or we're really stupid, but it's just like, I think that's the point, but you could have a translation. No, I feel like that's that's true because it tracks. Like people try to be good to one another. Like this is all going on, and there are still people all throughout the book that all they're trying to do is just be good to their people. They're trying to be good to one another, mm-hmm. and like they're on opposite sides, and they're still doing their best. Like I don't think anyone ever enjoys being in war. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Ready to cry. Ready to cry. All right, so page 297 is the first time that I actually cried. Mm. Um, oh my god, it fucking sucked. Also, my <laughs> AirPods died. I don't know if you can, if you noticed. <laughs> I didn't, but I'm also high, so who knows? Neat. <laughs> I should get high. I was taking some daps. I just need to take all the daps. Anyway, it's hot. Give me a second. I'm dying. <sighs> so yeah, this is the first time I cried. Um... So I don't know if you brought it up before, but Werner had this friend, Frederick, at the at the Nazi school. Um, and Frederick was basically, he was all heart and no skill. He was basically, he was basically blind, actually. Mm-hmm. He couldn't see. His eyesight was so bad that he never did well in any of like, the target challenges. Honey, shush. You need to relax. You're fine. Anyway so they're nazis so they do this thing well like they'll pick out the one that's the weakest and they'll target him in some way and usually they leave seems like hazing but whatever they're nazis they can do that i guess i guess fucking nazis and poor frederick just wants to help out just wants to do good and in the middle of the night they took him because he was the weakest and we don't find out until later in the book but basically they beat him so badly that he cannot function on his own he can't even feed himself and just like just the way that they described it all and then just the just like uh, it just tore me tore me apart and I fucking cried yeah it's so awful because also he's so like you said he's all heart and no skill like he like takes Werner home to meet like to stay with his family at some point he's just like the softest little shit he just loves birds and like he's like just the softest little thing and it's so horrible and like she said that he's blind he like they're like oh how did you pass your exams or whatever and he was like oh I memorized the chart like he memorized the vision test because there's four I guess variations that you could get and he memorized all of them so that he would get in regardless and it's just so fucking shitty because he goes here and then they beat the fuck out of him like they basically like they kill him without killing him you know it beats him yeah basically beat him to death within inches of death <laughs> it's awful like if you beat someone so bad that they can't feed them so like 
they they should have just I don't know it's awful it's awful I I understand I would have I I mean I did cry at this point I cried through this whole book but like I definitely like that was really rough it's a big one Matthews man it's a big fucking sad um so page 313 things back in the future are real fucking stressful for both of the kids um Werner is trapped in a cellar that a building collapsed on top of desperately trying to fix a radio trying to get some sort of message in or out um they need to get the fuck out of there basically uh, and then marie is hiding in the attic from that fucking that cancer man von rumpel <laughs> sick guy um that ooh, i wanted to take another history tangent <clears throat> they brought up at some point in his storyline um a can the fact that his cancer was cured with mustard gas that's true. There was actually like some medical advancements during World War II where mustard gas, the shit that they were throwing at each other, actually shrank tumors. And apparently that worked with him for a little bit. Wow, that's incredible. Love a history lesson. Well, thank you. Um, so yeah, he's really trying to track down the stone and Marie's literally hiding in the attic from him. And I don't really know if he wants it because he thinks it's going to save his life. Like, that's terrifying. Like, fuck this guy. Um, and I think we forgot to mention, and I don't know if we do mention this, but um, sorry, we have to backtrack about a little bit. They, there was an order that said that all the radios, like, had to be confiscated. You had to turn in all your radios. And um, Uncle Etienne had a lot of radios, and they turned them all in. So they thought, except that he has that one hit, like, in his in his attic so they put a giant wardrobe in front of the door and they like cut a hole in both of them basically so unless you knew it was there you wouldn't know that there was like an attic and um that's where they hide and do their whole like transmitter thing um so she's literally because they're spies yeah she's literally hiding in like the house and he's the one that's in her house and he's looking for the stone and it's so crazy so anyway sorry i just wanted to go back backtrack to why there's a secret room is because they had like they had to hide the fact they had a radio still which also oh, yeah. sidebar werner's whole job in the military is tracking down like radios and he uses his math and shit, which I don't understand because I already don't understand it. But also, I don't think I, I was like, oh, science, math, can't can't do it. Got to gotta breeze on past it. Um, <laughs> so I just, I don't understand it. So anyway, um, that's his whole job, though, is triangulating and finding radios and destroying them and destroying the people that have the radios. So it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's super fucked up because, like, he's looking, at some point he hears he hears their transmission and he recognizes he recognizes it from like the french professor of his youth and he doesn't and he just hides it because he knows that like if they if they find it if they find them what they do is they kill they kill everyone in the house and they destroy the radio it's horrible it's horrible and he doesn't yeah it's horrible and he doesn't want that to happen because he like he feels connected to this like to this voice and it's heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking so yes so Anyway, the man is in the house and he's trying to get the stone. So anyway, Werner is doing this and he's 
not living his best life honestly <laughs> like, he's real not happy with his life and how it's going um bad things keep happening and anyway he has a hard time he usually his he and his sister did not part on great terms because she's mad at him for being a nazi which is valid valid reason we're mad at him super too. fair yeah super fair um but they do still write to each other to keep contact and he hasn't talked to her in a while and anyway he's just kind of spiraling like he's just going into the big the big sad he's just it's a lot um so he this is kind of like the first place i feel like they start maybe not the first place but the first time i've noticed that he kind of like has these weird sad like thought patterns i don't know he just like has weird visions and it's like he just has very sad sad moments anyway so this is the first time i noticed it and he's talking about um like he's, he's thinking and he's like werner sees um his sister sitting at a table the bright faces of the other children around her frau elena's needlepoint over the sink the corpses of a dozen infants heaped in a bin beside the stove and i was just like this went from he misses his family to super fucked up imagery like real quick and i was just like this poor kid like i just want to hug him and send him home to his sister which sucks because i really don't want to be sympathizing with a nazi but just like this poor fucking kid can't catch a goddamn break just you just wanted to go to school and get an education and not have to work in a fucking mine it's just awful the whole thing is awful and then at the same time we still got marie who her life just continuously gets worse so um you know she's in the house and um von rumple ramp rumpel i don't know how whatever von he's, asshole he's in her house and as we said marie's dad made her a model of the city and i don't think he got to finish it obviously but he did make her part of it and um this man is going through her shit because he's a horrible human being and he pulls up um he pulls up one of the houses and it says he rotates in front of his eyes 18 windows six balconies a tiny entrance down here beneath the window lurks a little landlady with her cat and there on the fourth floor himself, on its bottom, he finds a tiny hole, not unlike the keyhole in the jewel safe in the museum he saw there three years ago. The house is, he realizes, a container or a receptacle. He plays with it a while, trying to solve it, turns it over, tries the bottom, the side. His heart rate soars. Something wet and feverish rises to his tongue. Do you have something inside of you? Von Rumpel sets the little house on the floor, takes his, wait, raises his foot and crushes it. And I'm just like this man is a goddamn monster like he we said this is where we meet our first villain and at first i was like our only villain and then i was like wait a second this whole book's full of nazis there's so many villains <laughs> but this man is disgusting everything about him is disgusting and i hate him and i know it's awful to wish cancer on people but also i feel like he kind of deserves this because he's disgusting and horrible and he's literally like just ransacking people's houses and crushing children's like precious mementos like just to look for a stone to what keep him alive longer like I just I don't know I hate him so much 
and maybe he's acting this way because of the cancer like maybe he's I don't know maybe he wasn't awful and cancer made him awful but I just hate him and he's gonna die and I'm probably not gonna be sad about it so I said sorry not sorry yeah super looking forward to that fuck that guy also spoiler alert the cancer don't get him but we'll get there (laughs) so yeah Werner is doing his thing with a big Volkheimer along with Newman one and two because they're just two dudes both named Newman (laughs) so yeah they've been going around using the fancy math that I don't get very much it either (laughs) i'm not trying to figure it out um but warner is thankfully um but unfortunately he's wrong once he i don't know if he made a mistake or he didn't hear something and he thought he did but they go to a house and they do what they do they kill everyone inside and it's and he sees a mother and a child basically get murdered before his eyes and it just like sends him just further off the deep end yeah he'd never recover from that which is so awful this whole thing is so awful but yeah so that was really rough um i can't uh so that's awful and then there's marie also her life being awful because as we've mentioned maybe we haven't got to maybe we forgot um so the housekeeper that worked at her uncle's house she dies like marie finds her dead body which is like she dies of like sickness so it's not like she was murdered but she still dies so she lost her and then her dad never came back for her and then now her uncle's gone so it's literally just her in this house by herself and she's blind and there's a man in her house like trying to take her stone and kill her which she doesn't at this point know about the stone i don't think i think she's just literally hiding from him like she knows that the house that she's that the stones inside is important but i don't think she like fully knows about it because she opens it later so anyway she's just hiding from this man and at some point he's like ransacking the house from the bottom up so while he is downstairs she sneaks out of her hiding spot and like goes to her room to get some water and she like is just doing this like creeping through the house like he could have ransacked anything like moved anything around that would have tripped her up because she only knows things by like feel you know so like at any point she could have fucked up and she he could have caught her so that's like intense so she's sneaking across the house she goes to her room that he's been sleeping in by the way because he's a big old disgusting piece of shit um been sleeping in her fucking bed weird as hell i hate it and so she um finds her book because the other thing that we forgot to talk about is her dad gives her books in braille like gives her books in braille and um so she has one from him and it's the second it's i think the second part of 20,000 leagues under the sea anyway she finds it and she like smuggles it back upstairs with her because she came out to get water and she knows she has to like go back and hide um so she says she doesn't want to die and she's already risked too much 
So she um, slips. She doesn't think she can get past him, like slip out of the house. So she just sneaks back. It says she makes it to the landing, makes it to the threshold of her grandfather's house or bedroom, feels her way to the wardrobe, climbs to the open doors and gent- and closes them gently behind her. And I'm just like, the level of audacity this woman has, and I'm not even mad about her. Like, she, that's so ballsy. Like, I don't know how many people have been in a situation where they've been, like, sneaking around. Like, for their fucking life. Yeah. This bitch is doing it blind, and she's like, fuck you, I'm taking my book, too. You know? She's just like, and I, my first draft of this, I wrote that she was brave. I was like, the bravery she has but then later in the book, I kind of got like shaded by her for thinking she was brave because Werner says something about her being brave. And she says like, everyone says I'm brave, but I'm just doing what it takes to survive basically. And I'm just like, oh, this bitch, she's so, we stand, we stand this girl. So anyway, she has so much audacity. And I was like, go off but also be really careful i'm very worried about her like in this situation it was so nerve-wracking yeah so fucking stressful all of it it's crazy okay let's keep going so that was by the way that was um page 387 i'm really bad at saying page time or page numbers we're getting there it's okay they should know it's just after the whatever we talked about before this (laughs) are we also crossed a page number all right, so I'm glad you brought up the book. So she takes it with her up to the attic mm-hmm. and she starts transmitting it with her uncle's radio. And guess who hears it? Poor little Warner in the fucking cellar. <laughs> oh, God. Um, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so Warner hears it and it's awful because, God, they're so close yet so far. And I think at this point in the book, I realized that like it's like, we're getting close to the end of it and the two main characters haven't met and I don't think they're going to fall in love and have a happy ending. Yes. That's so I get so yeah. upset. Yeah. I think this is the same because you knew they were going to cross paths because the back of the book says so. And I didn't realize this whole time that they hadn't been crossing paths. And this is when I was like, there's not enough of this book left. Like... <sighs> And you already know that their lives are shitty and I just wanted them to be able to meet and have their lives not be shitty. Yeah, they would have been such a cute little couple. Oh my god. So, it's awful. Um, And then we can skip my point if you want to go to your next point. I was just going to say that you kind of already said it. Like, he does lie to the other Nazis about, like, the broadcast because he wants to keep hearing it because he recognizes it, which is just like, Ugh. Ugh. my heart uh, it's awful um, so um, on page 415 13 sorry 12 and 13 this is the first time that Warner and Marie cross paths like in person and it's so it's a lot he oh, like God. He triangulates the, like, the recording to the house, and then he goes to the house to meet the man, because he wanted to be like, we listen to you all the time, we're orphans, you changed our lives. I'm a big fan. (laughs) It's so, but he goes there, and instead he sees Marie, and he 
is taken with her immediately, which is just like, <laughs> anyway, and then he realizes that she's blind and this, okay, what is creepy in the stranger is not creepy in here, which is probably problematic, but he literally just like watches her like walk around and he's just like amazed by her and he, <sighs> so sad. Um, so it says, why are Werner's hands shaking? Uh, why can't he catch his breath? The girl emerges from the bakery, steps neatly onto the curbstone, and makes straight for him. A poodle squats to relieve itself on the cobblestones, and the girl veers neatly to her left to skirt it. She approaches Werner for a second time, her lips working softly, counting to herself. Du, trois, quatre. Coming, which is two, three, four in French. Coming so close, um, he can count the freckles on her nose, smell the loaf of bread in her knapsack. A million droplets of fog beat up on the fuzz of her wool dress and hang along the wrap of her hair. The light out outlines her in silver. He stands riveted. His Her long pale neck seems to him as it passes incredibly vulnerable, which is kind of a weird thing to say. Yeah, um, I didn't really like that line in particular. I'm like, vampire? Vampire? What are we, what are we doing here? Um, anyway, um, she takes no notice of him. He seems, she seems to know nothing but the morning. This, he thinks, is the pier that they're always lecturing about at Schlopp which is the camp he was at well the Hitler's used place he was at anyways uh, he presses his back against the wall the tip of her cane just misses the toe of his boot then she pat then she's passed dress swaying lightly cane roving back and forth and he watches her continue up the street into the fog or until the fog swallows her and I was just like the reason why I know that this book is going to kill me is because we've gone 413 pages and the main characters have just met in person. Like, I know this ends badly. And I'm just waiting on the other shoe to drop the whole time. Like, there's been lots of little drop shoes. But I'm waiting for, like, the very big earth-shattering drop that's going to kill me. And there's only 117 pages left of this book. So, like, there's just not a lot of time. So I know it's going to happen soon. And it was so hard for me to do. So... Yeah, it was really hard once you realize that it was that's not there's no up from here that that it's just hard to keep reading. Yeah, <laughs> but you had to. You had to. What if what if there was a good ending? Yeah, there's a chance. Well, unfortunately, there's not. So the the page the next note I have is on page four thirty two, and the title of the chapter is the arrest of Etienne LeBlanc, and I just. Ah! so upset and i just said stop he's literally all she has left they take everything from her they take her house her life that she's comfortable and used to with going to the the museum with her dad and then they take her dad and then her her friend the housekeeper dies and then now her uncle is literally all she has and he gets arrested and i'm just like we knew he was gone but we didn't know that he was also arrested and then also i'm like her dad got arrested and I don't think he's ever coming back. And I'm like, now what if her uncle never comes back? And I just was like spiraling into this, just like this poor girl has fucking nothing. <sighs> I'm sorry. Yeah. This is where it really starts to hit the fan. So her uncle gets arrested because literally every able-bodied man that could fight back in town gets arrested and put in like this prison outside the city walls. Mm -hmm. So when the city gets bombed, they're safe. But you know who's not safe? A poor little blind girl. Poor little blind girl. So yeah, I really start stressing out at this point. 
uh, I think this is this is probably the climax. The uh, Germans have blocked the city gates, trapping everyone left inside the city, basically trapping them in the city. Um, and at this time, the Americans do what they did at the time. They drop leaflets over the city saying that um, all citizens should immediately depart for open country. Basically, they're about to bomb the shit out of them and they should get out. Um, but it's too late. The Germans have already trapped and trapped them in there. And then at this point, when I was reading the book, I'm stressing out about this. And then a fucking wasp keeps flying in my fucking window, flying in and out. And I'm just screaming because shit, fucking bombs are about to go off. And I'm screaming because there's a little wasp in my house and I'm just I'm freaking out. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. A lot of anxiety. So much anxiety. Oh, oh God. And then Werner comes. He's just, he escapes the cellar. Volkheimer um, busts them the fuck out with a hand grenade. Yeah, he does. We can talk about it. So yeah, Volkheimer, the, they had a grenade and they they wanted they used it to like blow the rubble out of the stairwell, but they didn't do it before this because there was a chance that it could kill them. And they were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna go crazy down here and die. Go for everyone it." Everyone else in their party is dead already. I'm assuming. Like I'm pretty. Yeah, sure absolutely. So there were there were three of them. One died initially in the in the bombing collapse, and then one got crushed and died later on. And then it was just the two of them with a fucking dead dude. Mm-hmm. And so he busts them the fuck out. So then he gives him a gun, and he's like, "Go, go free." Volkheimer's just like, "Go, go, do what you must do." Yeah, because apparently this whole time Volkheimer knew about the broadcast that he was hiding from him and he's like I know that you got shit to do so go do it and he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna go get food like he's got his priorities straight Mm -hmm. and it's because uh, Marie's been transmitting like and saying like he's here he's gonna kill me like he's right below me like somebody please come help me and Werner like hears it and knows who it is and is already like infatuated with her basically and he goes to save her and he does and he kills the man and he so that she can be safe and then they like spend an evening like a night together like in the house like they they have one day together and he's just like it's so sad. I'm so sad because, like, he's like in love with her, and like she doesn't. She not even knows him. It's but, not sad yet. God, we're not there yet. We're there. We have one line. So this whole time she's been trapped in the attic. She had two cans of food in her pocket. Mm-hmm. She ate the first one, and then she splits the last one with Warner. And it's and it's the peaches, the first thing that she ate in the house when she came, and it's the last thing she gets to eat in the house. <laughs> And it was made by the housekeeper, who's her friend, who she loves. And she was like, <laughs> when she had the two cans, she was like, maybe one of them will be peaches. And it was. And it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go to your next point. We just ripped the Band-Aid off. So, yeah. Um, they, they escape. They leave the city. They separate. Um, because Warner says it'd be better if she's not found with him. Um, she goes off to find her uncle and he goes off to a German POW camp where he's getting treated for his injuries because he just spent five fucking days in a cellar starving to death. 
no food, no water. Only thing he's had is some fucking peaches, bro. <clears throat> yeah. And he he's still just so fucked up over everything. And like I think he just like he couldn't he couldn't go on at this point. He was too full of guilt for the one time that he messed up. Oh fuck, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I can't look at you because I'm gonna cry. <laughs> He fucked up one time and he can't forgive himself and he just goes and walks onto a landmine and he just is fucking dead. He's fucking dead. He just dies. And like, it's a callback to earlier in the book where he like almost walks over a, like a mine and everyone's like, holy fuck, dude, you almost stepped on a mine. And he like literally could not give two shits because he was already over his life. And it's just like, he steps on a fucking landmine. He knows it's there. Like... He had so much potential. He was so fucking smart. And this is just where he ends. He doesn't get to go on and like be a scientist, which he would have been so fucking good at. He just fucking all of the potential just wiped out. And, and I just said, like, this was the earth shattering drop, the big shoe that I was like waiting for. Like I was just like crying so hard. It's like he never stood a fucking chance his whole life. Like he was an orphan. He was supposed to be forced to work in the mine that killed his dad. Then he tried to make his life better by joining the Hitler's youth to avoid going to the mines. And they just forced him into the war. And then he just steps on a landmine. And I'm like, he never saw his sister again. Like, it's just like, and he felt so much guilt over, like, the situation with his sister where she was disappointed in him. And, like, I think he thought, like, she was mad at him. And it was so rough because, like, later we'll get to it. But she feels so much guilt, I think, too, over, like, being hard on him and then she never saw him again and it's just like the shittiest thing this is so awful this book sucks i'm so upset <laughs> so upset this book sucks because it made me feel emotions um and since we're crying um a couple we're getting to the end of the book and one of the last things they do is they go visit they go visit for fucking frederick again and i just cried all over again because he didn't deserve what he fucking got man Nope. he didn't deserve it and he's just like a 50 year old man and he has to be taken care of by his mom and like warner warner dies and they they find his like last effects and the part of some like soldiers initiative they they try to get it to his next of kin and in his in his like his last shit there are like three things there's a there's like a letter to frederick there's the house the little house the model of Marie's uncle's house. That she gave him when they separated. Yeah. God, what else was was that it? Um his knapsack. Those are the two important things basically. Uh-huh. Well, that's all important, but yeah. It's all important. So like they send the letter and Frederick gets it when he's like a fifty year old man. And it's a piece of it's a page of a book that he tore out of one of Marie's uncle's books while they were hanging out that night. And it's just of some birds. And like for like a brief second, his mom thinks that there's like something there, that there's part of her son there. Mm -hmm. And then I fell apart again and that fucking sucked. So shitty. Um, so the things that are so the thing that's important, I cut a note out that I think I'm probably still gonna bring up anyway. So Volkheimer is the one that gets Werner's stuff and he's the one that's in charge of like dealing it out and he takes it's the notebook it's his notebook that's what he takes oh yeah and 
she gets to give her closure, I guess, on it because she knows he died. Like she got alerted to his death, but she just like never got to say goodbye and it's horrible. And she's like married now and like has a kid. And it's just like, it's a lot. And Volkheimer goes and like has dinner with her family. And like, then he, he gives her the house that she can give like, and then she goes on and gives it to Marie. And it's like this whole thing, like this whole reconciliation thing. And it's a lot of loose ends, but I had a soft spot for Volkheimer this whole book just because he was very gentle like with Werner and I felt like he was at his roots a good person so I had a note about how I cared about him and he called me out and said he's the literal Nazi (laughs) and it made me really rethink that because why was I I don't know but now at the same time that I'm rethinking it again, like, also, Werner was a Nazi. And I yeah. sympathized the hell, like, so much with him. So, you know what, Volkheimer, I still sympathize with this man. I think he just was doing what he thought he needed to do. And that's, that's what they were all doing. Yeah, Werner it, just wanted to do better. And, like, so did he. So did Volkheimer. He just wanted to do his best. And at the end, he you know, gave her some closure because he really cared about Werner. Like, you know, he did the whole book. You know that he did. And it's just like, it was so nice. I don't know. It was a very nice moment and I still like him. So never mind. I take it back. I like him. He fucks with me, you know, like, <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, then we get to the end of the book and just a brief end of the book. Marie lives a nice life. Like she goes back to Paris and she gets she gets a job and she works in the museum. She gets her master's <laughs> pretty sure. And she has a daughter. She never gets married or anything, but she has a daughter and she just she has a nice life and and when her sister comes to find her and is like yeah, I got told that he, he was in love at some point and I just hope Marie knew it was her but anyway so sad so sad so awful so that's the end Uh, so now we're at the final thoughts and I'm just gonna let you go ahead and take that take that away for for now yeah let's have a brief crying break (laughs) so awful so yeah um duh the blind girl lives forever uh she was so pure for this world um, overall, this book was a buff, but was a fucking bummer. <laughs> the evil curse gem was returned to the ocean, never to be seen again, I guess. Um, everyone's story was super fucking sad. Um, the where are they now at the end was especially heartbreaking, especially Frederick's. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really talk about it, but Warner's sister got married, has a kid. But before that, they were like on the on the rough side of the fucking, I think they were on the rough side of it they were working in a factory and they ended up her and the other orphan girls yeah her and the other orphan girls and frau and like the lead lady they ended up in a factory working and they all one day some russians came through town and they all got raped and that was awful and like i'm still not okay with the fact that werner just fucking died so abruptly that sucked and like 
I get it. He felt so much guilt over it and that so many people ended up dying and especially those people that like didn't even have a radio the one time he was wrong Mm -hmm. and it was it was too much and then like he just couldn't forgive himself for it it just breaks my heart and I guess like I thought I thought they would have more time together I thought they would have more than a fucking day yeah it's just like it couldn't have happened any other way you know this is all that they could have had under the circumstances yeah it was so sad he had so much potential and unfortunately for him he ends up just like becoming a fucking nazi and he just dies awful and i think um i don't i think again the thing about like that they didn't cross paths until so much later later in the book i think that's like a testament to how good this book is because like i didn't even notice like that they hadn't met yet and they weren't going to have a lot of time and that made the heartbreak of them not having a lot of time hurt even more because like the book was like so good up to the point that I never realized that I don't know you just when you know two people are going to cross paths you're kind of just counting down them like the chapters till they get there and then like I didn't do that with this book so it's just but it also made it so much harder he's a genius I'm just, I'm just saying it again this man is <laughs> um so yeah I didn't really know how to like digest my thoughts. Um, so these are probably going to be a little bit scattered and also like incoherent, but um, my heart was just like completely shattered. I just cried a lot. Uh, this book was pretty hard for me to read. And that was mostly just because I was trying to put off the heartache that I knew I was going to feel. I'm like the type of person that I'll start a TV show that I know is good. And then I also am really bad at not reading the plot tv shows so i'll know something bad's gonna happen and i'll watch up to right before it's gonna get bad and then i don't watch it anymore me Uh, too oh my god i did that with the last episode of mash for years i refused to watch it and sometimes i go back and finish it but sometimes i never do and it just is so that the big sad never happens like in my world it never happened because i didn't see it and i could still pretend that it's not a thing and with this book, that's what I was doing. Um, and I was trying to procrastinate, but I also had a deadline. Um, so I had to power through it. So that being said, I was pretty riveted in like the last 200 pages. I read it all in like one big loop and I just like couldn't stop, um, which is probably not good because I probably didn't digest it the way I should have, um, but I did it. And I'm also, I mentioned kind of before, but I'm not usually a fan of books that switch back and forth between time frames or switch back and forth between POVs, uh, point of views. Uh, but this book was different. Like it was really beautiful and heartbreaking. And I think that I'm going to like be really fucked up about it for a long time. Um, weirdly, like the things that I don't like about books that I think make them weaker stories made this book like a stronger story. And I was, it was good. It was really good. So um, good job, Mr. Mr. Doer on that one. Um, but also I've been weirdly interested in World War II like my whole life, A, because of my dad, but also because of the Holocaust. And I know that's like a pretty horrible thing to say, but I can't really help it. Um, this book showed a different side of the war that I don't often think about, especially towards the end of the book when um, Warner's sister Jetta or Yetta feels um, really self-conscious about being in France. She goes to France to meet Marie. And she feels really self-conscious being there as a German. Like, she's always very, like, cautious about her French and the way she's, like, 
carrying herself and what she's saying because she's afraid they're gonna like know she's a German and I feel like that's super interesting to me at least because as history has been presented at least to me in America I feel like it's always really demonized Nazis from the war which like it should because being a Nazi is fucking terrible but I think that in doing that it kind of low-key demonized like all like all of Germany and you just think and I think American media does it a lot too because the bad guys in movies are always Germans. Like, it's just like, like it's a stigma. And so I never thought about how civilians who didn't support Hitler had to navigate the world after the war. I just kind of was like, Germany is full of horrible human beings, which is obviously not true. But like, that's just kind of the way my brain, it's always just glossed over that part. I never thought about it. So that was like a really gentle eye opener to like my own ignorance and um i really appreciated that a lot about this book um so i think that now going forward i'm gonna do my research with a little more of a like i don't know less focused lens you know like not just germans are bad people because obviously they're not and if you're german i'm sorry that i kind of low-key thought that because i didn't really think it in my conscious brain but i think it's been beaten subconsciously into me so Oh, that's good. That shows growth, the fact that you recognize it. Yeah, all about that personal growth, baby. Um, anyway, um, I also <laughs> wanted to shout out um, McKenna Brooke on Spotify. She made a playlist for this book that I listened to while I was reading it. I'm one of those people that I have to have background noise. So I um, found out that sometimes you can search a title of a book on Spotify and someone will have made a made a playlist that's like, Music that inspires or like gives them the same vibe I don't know um which is really cool so McKenna Brooke did make one and I did listen to it while I was reading and so I'm just saying if you're interested in the book and you like having music in the background I would really recommend um checking out her playlist as background noise and um I put a link to it in the show notes so it's it's really good good job McKenna I like I like to <laughs> so anyway um we get to the part of the show where we talk about the genre authenticity so what did you think friend well friend um a young blind spy for the french resistance and a potentially cursed jewel that sounds pretty historical and pretty fictional um i think the only thing i would i would disagree with is i think it would also should be categorized as like a romance novel there's like a little dusting of romance that i liked (laughs) I agree that I liked the dusting of romance. I don't agree that it should be, it should be categorized as a romance because <laughs> it's too brief for me. But the whole last day, I did really appreciate the beauty in them having one day together. Like it was <sighs> okay. Fuck it, I hate this book. <laughs> I love <laughs> this book so much. Okay, so I would say the genre authenticity is pretty pretty authentic. I think we've done a pretty good job so far in this recording of telling you that it's very well like lined up with history so that was really cool Um, yeah I had a lot of fun doing the history history research bits whenever they came up love it um okay so we also now must rate all right I gave mine eight out of ten it made me so fucking upset at least twice and I love books that do that (laughs) And I said that I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Um, points deducted for doing Werner so dirty. 
Um, sorry, Mr. Dewar, that I'm giving you points off, but also you should be apologizing for me for making me read that with my own two eyes. <laughs> it was awful and beautiful and horrible, and I will never stop being upset about this book. <laughs> <laughs> Same. So fuck you, man. Um, all right, so the next book that we are going to be reading is An Adventure, I believe. That is the category we are putting this in. So action adventure. <laughs> oh yeah, action adventure. That's what I should have said. That was really dumb of me. Um, and that book that we are reading is called This Tender Land, and it was on a Barnes and Noble blog about adventure books to read before you die. So we'll dive into that um genre authenticity next week, as always. Um, but yes, that's the book that we're reading. And do you have yours handy or perfect? Do you yes, want to back? Sure. Um, the unforgettable story of four orphans who travel the Mississippi River on a life-changing odyssey during the Great Depression. Aw, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Sounds depressing. <laughs> Sad. In the summer of 1932. Oh, fuck. We're going back to that era. Goddamn. Yeah. Um, on the banks of the Minnesota's Gilead River, Odie O'Banion, oh my god, I love these names, oh my god. is an orphan confined to the Lincoln Indian Training School, a pitiless place where his lively nature earns him the superintendent's wrath. Forced to flee after committing a terrible crime, he and his brother Albert, their best friend Mose, and a broken-hearted little girl named Emmy still away in a canoe heading for the mighty Mississippi and a place to call their own. Oh my God. Over the course of one summer, these four orphans journey into the unknown and cross paths with others who are adrift from struggling farmers and traveling faith healers to the displaced families and lost souls of all kinds. With the feel of a modern classic, this tender land is an enthralling big hearted epic that shows how the magnificent American landscape connects us all, haunts our dreams and makes us whole. Am I just emotionally like fucked today, or is that the best sounding book ever? Like, I want to read this book so bad now. Well, the book we just read took place in a similar time, and it was also about orphans. So I feel like you're still very emotional about the last book. And this also sounds like it's going to be very emotional because it's about the same time period and it's about orphans. And it just sounds so pure. They're just like, let's just go on an adventure down the mississippi meet all these people this i'm gonna i'm gonna cry in this book oh god i'm gonna do a lot of really terrible southern accents so look forward to it i apologize in advance <laughs> for you doing that i apologize to the listeners if you have any um so yeah pre-thoughts about this book um i think that i'm going to love this book and i'm very excited I don't know what it is about orphans. They just get to me. So. Oh, and the author of this book, I'm sorry, is William Kent Kruger. And his little bio on the back says, uh, is the author of the New York Times bestselling Cork O'Connor series, as well as the novel Ordinary Grace, winner of the Edgar Award for Best Novel. He lives in Twin Cities with his family. Um, I don't know any of those stories. So I'm sorry, Mr. William Kent Kruger, but. I'll give it a goog. I'll give it a goog. 
All right. Um, free thoughts for you. You just think think it's going to be sad. Um, I might cry. I hope I don't. Um, I hope it's not too racist. <laughs> Always a possibility. It is about Mississippi. No, that's mean. I shouldn't say that. I'm from Texas, so I'm going to make fun of the South a little bit. Well, I'm from Alaska, so I can't do that, but I'll be here too. Um, I'm excited. I love the name Gilead. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty dope. Um, okay, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, we do have some medias that you could you could um, find us at i almost said follow us you don't have to do that but you can find us on the social meds um and we have a twitter for sure we don't really tweet too much as of late but we have a twitter and you can follow it and it is at th underscore book club pod apologize for the shitty name but that's what it is um and if you'd like, you could maybe catch us tweet a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. I'm more of the tweeter of this group. Um, we do also have an Instagram, and that is the at the Hibernians Book Club. Um, but we also both have our own personal Instagrams. So, did you want to shout out yours? And I'll shout out. Sure. Yeah, I am at Dirty Rotten Reader on the on the Instagram and yourself young lady i am at annie the sullivan so follow us there probably gonna be a lot of the same stuff but you never know actually indy has a lot of cool shit on her bookstagram so you really should follow it um take a lot of pictures of my shit so much pictures so much shit it's great <laughs> um you also we have an email and it is the hibrarians.bookclub at gmail.com and if you do so desire, we are always accepting book suggestions. And if you would like to send a book suggestion for us to possibly cover um, in one of our upcoming episodes, just shoot us an email with a quick synopsis of the book and why you're recommending it and also what genre you think it falls into. We always are just looking for suggestions for books to add to our own personal libraries because we're big old nerds and we like to read. So any suggestions you guys have would be great. Talk to you, Zach Efron. I have passed away. Passed away. We are passed away. <laughs> so glad you did that. Otherwise, I would have felt really fucking embarrassed. I spend a lot of time on the TikTok. Don't even. Um, I can't believe that went through my brain. I'm so mad. Okay, it's fine. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, catch up next week when we cover this tender land and hopefully we don't cry as much as we cried in this book so we'll be real tender with that their land oh my god Let's <laughs> all right uh thanks guys uh bye bye oh i don't know why why it's a reference to all the light we cannot see that is the wavelengths of the electromagnetic spectrum that are beyond the ability of human eyes to detect such as radio waves radio waves radio waves <laughs> okay that makes sense radio waves <laughs> <laughs>